AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you on this Wednesday, February 21st, hour number two here. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions and get things started with the KDUS1060.com poll question. Which team has the best chance of winning the 2024 NCAA tournament if UConn does not repeat? We have uh, things tightening up here, but U of A now out in front at 43% of the vote. Houston trailing at 36% and Purdue now sitting at 21% of the vote. That's a question that we'll officially answer today around 1230. Tossing it on over to X at KDUS AM 1060. I do want to point out here, though, that if you missed Bob's conversation with Justin Williams from The Athletic talking all things college hoops, podcast it, KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS1060 app. But here we go for the X poll question, which has been college basketball's most disappointing team. We're now in a 50-50 split between Gonzaga and Michigan State. Miami still at zero percent of the vote that's another question that we'll answer around 12 30 today if you would like to chime in feel free to do so today we'll take your calls around 12 15 602 260 1060 is the number as we had previewed uh we're going to dive into a little baseball action here and this is from the scores simon sharkey gottlieb and tom ranimsky one must watch player for each nl team this spring here and we'll start with the nl east and the braves and for them they've pointed out uh off uh outfielder excuse me jared kelenic projected to start in left field but a good spring could no pun intended here springboard his development 253 11 home runs and 49 rbi in 105 games with the mariners last season huge disappointment uh, his uh, major league career thus far little surprise the mariners gave up on him this quickly um you know, the, he obviously had the season-ending injury last year where I forgot exactly what he did. He broke some bone in his body after he struck out and went nuts in the dugout uh, and then was out for several games after that, a few weeks after that. Uh, so, you know, they didn't see uh, enough from him. He obviously, uh, his biggest problem is he can't hit anything other than a fastball. That's been his, uh, you know, that's been the case of many minor leaguers who have, been highly thought of when they get to the major leagues. Uh, you see, uh, you know, better breaking pitches, needless to say. And uh, once they find out that you can't hit those breaking pitches, that's all you're going to see. Uh, but you know, the Braves have been known to bring in guys that have floundered elsewhere or disappointed elsewhere. I think this was a no-brainer. I'm sure that they did not converse very long as to who they're going to come up with for the Braves because <laughs> he's the <laughs> obvious. Guy. He's the obvious guy. 
Uh, then we have in the Marlins, you have uh, Yuri Perez. How will he develop as a starting pitcher? He's only like, I think he's still 20 years old, maybe 21. Uh, yeah, he showed some signs of uh, just dominant at times last year. Also, they monitor his innings last year. I assume they're going to monitor his innings again this year. They're going to be really bad. Uh, in fact, they, I think, are almost guaranteed to be the worst team in the division. Uh, I hearken to say not the worst team in the National League because the Rockies are still in baseball. They still have a team. Uh, they're going to be the worst team in the National League, and you know they're, they're probably better than only Oakland, the Rockies. Uh, but your, your Perez is your interesting guy. Uh, he also gave up a ton of home runs last year, which is really difficult to do when you pitch your home games in Miami, which has a huge ballpark. Uh, then you have the Mets, Edwin Diaz here. How will Diaz return from his knee injury? When we last saw him on the mound, it was spectacular as a closer. 1.31 ERA, and uh, you could certainly argue one of, if not the best closers in baseball. Technically, when we last saw him on the mound, unfortunately, it was in the WBC and celebrating a victory. Uh, and he was out for the season because he, that's where he suffered. That's how he suffered the torn ACL about a year ago at this time. Uh, so we assume he's going to be okay. It wasn't an arm injury. There was actually some talk towards the end of last season that the Mets were anywhere near the playoffs, which, of course, they weren't, that he might actually have been able to return at the end of last year. Uh, then you have the Nationals with Dylan Cruz, outfielder, uh, probably isn't going to make the roster yet this year, but a ton of promise lies ahead for him with the Nationals. Yeah, I've never seen him play. I know about him. That's you know, about as far as I can go. But, uh, you know, the Nationals, uh, they're going to get better. I mean, they obviously, you know, when they won the World Series and they pretty much realized they weren't going to be very good for a while after that. And uh, they've, they've got a little bit better last year. They made some really good trades. Mike Rizzo used to be here with the Diamondbacks in the front office. Obviously, he's been the GM in, in Washington for several years now. Made some very good trades. Uh, you know, the Soto trade, he got like every decent farm system guy in San Diego to go in the, back to the, to the Nationals from the Padres. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But... Uh, kind of an un incomplete for me because I've never seen him play. Uh, then you have the <clears throat> Phillies. Taiwan Walker, starting pitcher. It was 31 starts <laughs> for him last year. He pitched really well, but then he wasn't used in the postseason. So does that not being used boil over and create any bad blood? Well, he deserved not to be used. He, he, he went downhill. He, he was – much better early in the season, and then you kind of, if you were betting baseball last year uh, and you saw that Walker was pitching for the Phillies, you were thinking about betting against them every time he pitched. Uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't good. Uh, I actually think there would be a couple other guys on this list I'd have ahead of him, but because uh, I just don't, I don't even think Walker's really even a factor for them. If he, He's a bonus if he does anything, and it's not going to, yeah, they got to get within one game or one series, obviously, of the uh, World Series last year with him not doing anything. And uh, case can be made that they've made a couple of improvements, including Whit Merrifield uh, over the weekend uh, to just a one-year, like $2 million contract. And 
they're better than they were at this time a year ago. I think there's better choices than Taiwan Walker for this list. Uh, then you have over in the NL Central, the Brewers, Jackson Churio, outfielder, turns 20 yeah. in March, signed an $82 million contract in December, having never played in the bigs. Especially interesting because the Brewers are basically, in my opinion, tanking and uh, you know dumping payroll for the most part, even though they did sign a couple other guys, uh, Reese Hoskins, they gave him some money. They said a lot of their moves have seemed to contradict each other. Yeah, if you're a trade Corbin Burns, you have no intention of ever re-signing him. Okay, but you go out and spend money on you know Hoskins. What uh, that didn't seem to make sense. Uh, Willie Adamas, their shortstop, uh, who a lot of teams in Major League Baseball would assume to like to have as their shortstop. He apparently is going to be traded, maybe even during spring training here, or if not then, by the trade deadline, because they just aren't going to pay him. Uh, so I'm a little confused as to what their organizations. Obviously, they didn't pay counsel to stay, and they let him go to the rival Cubs, of all places. So I have no idea what the Brewers are doing at this point as far as their philosophy. What, what is their philosophy? I'm, I don't know what it is. Cubs here, Shota Imingunga, starting pitcher, nicknamed, and I think I'm just going to use the nickname, the pitching philosopher. Uh, how will he <laughs> adjust to playing in the bigs? I don't think anybody knows. I think that's a good legitimate question. Uh, obviously, it wasn't the top pitcher uh, from Japan in the last uh, yeah, couple of years, if you count Senga last year and Yamamoto this year. Uh, so, yeah, he was, you know, I'd say, a distant third between that group. Uh, so I don't know. Um, you know, they have the smaller, ba the smaller baseball in Japan. That's always a big adjustment for, you know, I shouldn't say always, but for most pitchers uh, pitching in the U.S. for the first time, that's a big adjustment, something we talked about with the Dodgers and Yamamoto last week. Uh, so big question there. And are the Cubs ever going to add a bat? Uh, it may not matter if he's any good or not if they can't score any runs. Then you have in the Pirates, Paul Skeens, starting pitcher. He was the number one pick from the 2023 draft. His fastball tops out at 102 miles per hour. He's likely not going to leap into the majors just yet, but obviously seeing him uh, in spring training would turn some heads. Yeah, I watched him pitch a couple games at LSU because uh, I have a friend of mine who's a college basket, uh, college baseball excuse me, expert and told me to watch this guy. And, like, the two games I watched him pitch were, like, his two worst games. <laughs> so um, he had significant location issues in both the games I watched. Uh, they blew away guys because, you know, it was, you know, college hitters just weren't equipped to hit any of his stuff. Uh, but I, I remember th feeling really sorry for the catcher because the dude was, you know, it was a miracle that he actually was able to, you know, catch balls in the dirt and set up low and outside. The pitch is high and inside. And uh, the, the catcher, you know, for LSU, I don't know, I didn't, I don't know his name, but uh, that guy to me impressed me more than Skeens did because <laughs> he caught all those you know, balls that weren't going where they were supposed to be going. And he's throwing like 100. Uh, the Reds here, Ely De, De La Cruz, shortstop. He had a sensational start to his career, and then he really tapered off at the end of last season's year here. So how will he do this spring? Well, I guess he's already hitting cars with baseball so far. That would be true. Um, 
I was not, I didn't buy into all the hype when he first came up last year. Uh, he is a horrendous hitter against left-handed pitchers. It was below, it was you know, basically uh, in the 150 area, if I remember correctly, by the end of the season. He's a phenomenal athlete. Might be the fastest human being in baseball as far as just the sprint speed and all that goes. He should not be playing shortstop. First time I get to go off on the Reds here uh, this year, I guess. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of dudes that play basically the same two or three positions. Literally have like six guys for like three places. And I have no idea what they're doing. I think they've got a manager as horrendous at developing young talent, and all they have now is young talent. Then you have the Cardinals here. Mason Wynn, shortstop. Uh, will his yeah. bat be ready to be Major League Baseball ready? His obvious uh, arm strength for defense as he's ranked. I don't know how you rank these things, but they did. He's ranked in arm strength 94th percentile. Well, I believe that's just based on velo and throws from shortstop to first base. I'm guessing that's how that works. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Not 100% sure that, that, that that's exactly how that works but whatever that's how they that usually monitor sense. those things i think they try that think that think that's pretty sure pretty sure about that uh i've heard a lot about him defensively he uh you know whether he can hit or not is a legitimate question and once again i think this was kind of a no-brainer in their little list here so yeah yeah, that, they got that right, I think, unless, unless there's somebody I don't know about. <laughs> Over in the National League West for the Dodgers, I mean, how could they not put Shohei Otani in here? Uh, DH coming off of elbow surgery, so everything he does will obviously be monitored here. You could also pick from so many other uh, Dodgers players that are worth watching with all the different storylines, with players returning from injuries from last year, new additions, Tyler Glasnow this year, etc., but you don't pay what you paid for Shohei Otani to not put him on this list? Well, to me, he wouldn't be on this list. My, my guy would be Gavin Lux, uh, who is supposedly going to be their starting shortstop. We last saw Gavin Lux. He tore his knee up in spring training last year. And that's if I were going to Dodger training camp, that would be the one thing I would most pay attention to by far. Then you have the Diamondbacks, Jordan Lawler, shortstop. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo is expected to be the starting shortstop to start the season. So the question here is, when does Lawler make his presence? I think the big question is, is, is Lawler a major league shortstop? And there, uh, throughout his you know, heralded you know, prospect career in the Diamondbacks organization, I've read many times from many places uh, that he's not, is, is he ever going to be a major league shortstop? Yeah, I actually thought maybe they'd make him a third baseman before they went on and traded for a, you know Suarez. Uh, so that's not happening because they not only traded for Suarez, they're going to you know they're paying him. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but you know I think the biggest question I think they got the the guy right. I just you know if I were going to Diamondbacks camp, which is like ten minutes from where I'm sitting right now. If I were going out there, I'd be watching to see or try. Yeah, I wait for games, and I want to see him playing games, whether he's a major league shortstop or not, because there seems to be significant doubt of whether he is or maybe will ever be a major league shortstop. And he's got to hit better. Uh, he did not have a great uh, offensive season last year. Came up here and played, uh, played for the Diamondbacks. He hit under 200, but he only had just a few at bats in September and got some some time in the postseason, but. You know, I understand uh, he's a phenomenal athlete. There's no doubt about that. But uh, 
I think there's lots of questions of where how he fits in and where, et cetera. And, you know, he was even mentioned in some trade rumors last year at the trade deadline. Dylan Cease immediately comes to mind. There was some talk about that, mainly from Chicago media. That I think was, they were just hoping that they could get like the best prospect, the Diamondbacks head for Dylan Cease. And here we are several months later, and Dylan Cease is still in the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, lasting uh, impressions here of Geraldo Perdomo from the playoffs was that he seemed to be that key person in the bottom of the lineup that found a way to turn the the order to the top. He found ways yeah. to have key hits. So, you know, there's a lot there that if he can continue uh, what he was able to do at the plate, I know that you're uh, also thinking Lawler is your future. So you got to also factor all of that in. Well, to me, I mean, one of, our, one of our poll questions yesterday is who should be the starting shortstop for the Diamondbacks to begin, you know, opening day starting shortstop. There's no doubt, it, to me, it should be Perdomo, who was tremendous defensively last year. He went for a large chunk of the season without an error or very few errors. He makes all the plays, and then you, you're, you're, you're apparently considering, you know, putting the guy in there that may not make all the plays or may not make close to every play. Then you have uh, the San Francisco Giants, Jordan Hicks. Will he be able to transition into being a starting pitcher? Obviously, for the Giants, they have Logan Webb. Are they in in the mix for any other starting pitchers that still haven't signed just yet? Uh, but r- they also need to do something to bolster their starting rotation. Can he be a player to do that? Uh, good question. Um, you know, Jordan Hicks is he really hasn't even been a consistent relief pitcher in his career. Uh, so I'm not sure. I understand the fascination because he throws a hundred. That's as a reliever. You wouldn't think he's going to throw a hundred every pitch if he were, you know, you know, throwing you know 75, 80, 90 pitches per game. Uh, so is he would he be able to make that kind of adjustment? Uh, you know, Robbie Ray's now with the Giants, but he's not going to pitch for them for a while this upcoming season, coming off of last year's injury in Seattle, where he only made one start and got hurt in the first start of the season, was done for the year. You know, they've also got a couple other guys coming off of injuries from last season from the rotation. To me, uh, the Giants and the Baltimore Orioles are the two most intriguing teams in baseball. For completely different reasons. I just think that the Orioles are fun to watch and they've got like 100 young players. Where are they going to put all these guys? Because they've got some guys that have position uh, versatility, which could work in their favor and work maybe against them. Uh, As far as the Giants, I just think they've got a lot of guys that could be on this list. Uh, You know, several guys that could be on this list position players, pitchers, etc. They did make the biggest managerial increase in maybe baseball history. By you know letting Gabe Kapler get you know, firing him uh, the last weekend of the regular season and replacing with Bob Melvin. I mean, there's rarely been a managerial improvement from one year to the next more ever in the history of baseball than this. Uh, then you have the Padres, Michael King, starting pitcher. Uh, he has said some things publicly that the Padres are the team that won the Juan Soto trade. So is he going to be able to back up the talk? <laughs> well, he has to say that, doesn't he? <laughs> so you can't come in there if you're part of the big part of the Juan Soto trade and say, boy, the Padres really screwed up here. They got, they got, they got ripped off. 
Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he's another guy that's been a relief pitcher a lot of his career. He started as a, you know, he began his career as a starting pitcher, had some injuries. He's had some really good moments as a reliever. Started towards the end of last season with some with the Yankees. Uh, you know, but uh, here we are again a year later. I sat here every day seemingly last year and said that the Padres were overrated. They shouldn't even be considered to be a playoff team. And every day I heard like two seconds after I got done saying that on this show, listening to a podcast or watching MLB TV with some expert telling me, well, they're a content. They just, all they got to do is just put it together. And they had a great manager and it didn't work out. And they had a bunch of players that underperformed. And apparently some guys that didn't get along with each other. Uh, I, I don't, I, I think the Padres are the, the, you can put them in fourth place in the division this year. They're better than the Rockies. How about that? I give them that much. That's it. The Rockies is the last team on this list here. Nolan Jones, outfielder. Can he build off of his rookie year? He did finish fourth in the NL Rookie of the Year voting. I'm not buying it. Um, you know, he's I, I, certainly he was a heralded prospect in Cleveland. I'm not sure why they got rid of him because they needed all the guys, especially an outfielder in Cleveland because they're short on outfielders. Uh, so I'm not sure what happened there. I don't know if it was more than – there must have been more than just, you know, he didn't perform as well as they thought he could. Uh, and he had some very good moments in Colorado last year. But then again, he's hitting in Colorado, his home games, so it's always, I think, at least for me, differ, really difficult to ascertain whether that's legit or not. Uh, but, yeah, he had some numbers last year that almost would be hard to believe if he, he's been able to duplicate those. Uh, Fantasy-wise, um, I've done a lot of fantasy baseball research, obviously, for my upcoming drafts. I think he is, he's, he is so overrated. There is zero chance, even if I wanted him, that I would be drafting him or paying for him in a in a in an auction, I wouldn't pay up for him, and there's no way I'm going to be able to draft him because he's going way before I would ever draft him. On the other side of the break, we'll take your phone calls 602-260-1060. We'll get into a little bit about uh, 15 NFL veteran cut candidates heading into free agency as the NFL and free agency is fast approaching. We probably won't get through all of them, but we'll dive into a few of them here on the other side of the break. But if you'd like to chime in, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the extra point on this Wednesday, February 21st. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. While you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app, 602-260-1060. If you'd like to chime in, we'll have a quick segment here before we make room for poll questions uh, a little bit later on. 
As it is, though, NFL free agency, it's heating up, and we'll get into more of this maybe in tomorrow's program as well. But uh, some NFL veterans to be uh, potentially have in mind that they could be heading into free agency. And top of mind here would be Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson. He does have five years left on his contract, and it's a 2024 dead cap hit of $85 million. But it really seems like uh, moves that Russell's making in his personal life, putting his house on the market, suggest that he knows his time in Denver is done and, uh, well, essentially being benched for the last two games so that he doesn't get hurt and therefore guaranteed monies don't have to be paid seem to suggest that his time in Denver is done. And Sean Payton a couple weeks ago seemed to suggest the same thing. I guess it was Super Bowl week. He was uh, you know, talking to somebody and quoted this uh, saying, I'm paraphrasing, but basically uh, he said, don't let the door hit you on the way out, pretty much is what he said. Um, in my much kinder words than that, uh, but you know, there seems to be zero chance he'll be back. Now... <clears throat> Where do you think a good spot for Russell Wilson would be? Uh, I mean, or have we seen enough from him in the la- and over the course of a couple of seasons with the Broncos, over the course of two different coaching staffs, to say that, uh, you know, paying what he wants to be paid and everything along those lines, that it's going to be tough sledding for him? Or is someone going to be chomping at the bit to try to, try to improve their roster being a competent quarterback away? Well, I'm sure somebody will be very interested because they're not going to pay his salary because the Broncos are still going to be stuck with stuck with that. Uh, so there's that part of things. But uh, I would think a team that has a really good defense and doesn't need him to make plays to win games, uh, even though he was very good in the red zone for the majority of last season, not so good on deep throws anymore, which is a big shock because that's what he used to be best at, in my opinion, in his heyday, that and – yeah, ad-lib plays out of the pocket, as the Cardinals have learned over the years, because uh, he seemed to be, uh, he just, every, every time they played them, uh, it seemed like one, to one, at least once per game, <laughs> he made some astounding play that was off script, and that doomed the Cardinals in that particular game, especially if the games were here, because they actually did better against Russell Wilson in Seattle in Seattle than they did in Glendale. Uh, yes. Uh, number two on this list here is uh, Browns running back Nick Chubb. He has one year left on his deal. 2024 dead money is $4 million. Uh, I think just kind of based upon where the Browns are salary cap-wise, they would like to rework his deal. In addition to that, there are probably question marks about how how is he going to to be returning from another knee injury and another knee surgery here. I know that it ended up being a lot better than people anticipated upon first seeing uh, everything unfold with that knee injury. But from a team standpoint, they probably would like uh, like to try to rework this. I would assume so. And uh, it would be really unfortunate if they actually had to do this because, as I said for several years, I actually think he's just the best natural running back of anybody in the league. Uh, Then you also have, and this is of no surprise, as the Raiders are going to be looking to upgrade their quarterback play, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. He does have two years left on his contract. It's um, a post-June 1st cut is a $15.5 million dead cap hit. He's also suspended for the first game, two games of next season because of his PED suspension, which was announced last Friday. 
Yes, uh, Chargers, wide receiver. Chargers here are going to be the last three that we'll talk t- touch on here. Uh, wide receiver Mike Williams, he has one year left on his deal, 12.4 million dead cap hit, uh, but the Chargers have some major cap decisions ahead, and with Williams tearing his ACL in September, maybe he's on the outside looking in. Yeah, I think Bosa is going to be out of there too. I mean, there's a whole they, they've got massive you know salary cap situation that they've got to take care of. Uh, and they're not a championship contending team, in my opinion. I don't think that uh, even they think that they're a championship contending team, except for you know, maybe Mr. Harbaugh thinks that because he's Mr. Optimist. But their roster is not very good, and they overpaid for this roster. Uh, number five on this list and number six, lumping them together is the Chargers pass rushers of Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Bosa has two years left, 2024 dead space of $22.2 million. Mack has one year left, 2024 dead money of 15.3. Again, you go back to having major cap decisions to make. Uh, you also have to factor in, as you pointed out, Jim Harbaugh and a new entire staff making these decisions. So which players are they going to value who are they going how are they going to see all of this fit and come together and do these players fit into what they want to do defensively well big difference between these two guys because Bosa went healthy which hasn't been all that often hasn't been that good uh Mac had a year or two where he wasn't particularly good but he sure was good last year would he have like you know mid-teens and sacks if I remember correctly so he's a productive player uh, so just based on production, I don't think there'd be any argument if they had to choose one of the other. And that will do it for right now. We'll put a pin in this and pick it back up uh, in tomorrow's Extra Point because it's time for poll questions. And we flip things back to the college hoops side of our conversation today. And if you missed it, Bob caught up with Justin Williams from The Athletic to talk all things college basketball. And you can podcast it over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. That's the college hoops conversation with number one UConn going down to Creighton, number 15 Creighton yesterday, but uh, more comprehensive college hoops conversation with Justin Williams if you missed that. But it's poll questions. They're coming up next right here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point 1241 here on this Wednesday, February 21st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. It's time to dive into the poll questions, and we'll do the KDOS1060.com poll question first. Uh, in the question here, which team has the best chance of winning the 2024 NCAA tournament if UConn does not repeat? Options being the U of A, Houston, or Purdue. Yeah, I just realized that uh, you know, just in the last few minutes, in fact, that of the you know the four top seeds from the last Saturday reveal show are these four teams: UConn, the three that mentioned in the poll question, 
all those schools are they have regionals you know very close to where they're located for instance yukon is close to boston the east regionals at td garden in boston the south regionals in dallas now i've actually done the drive from houston to dallas and it's much further than you might think in fact i remember at the age of like 15 when my dad was driving, I was I was you know doing that little kid thing. Are we there yet? Are we ever gonna get there? Uh, but it's a it's a distance. But I mean it's in the state of Texas, uh, so that's good for Houston. Uh, Purdue, the Midwest region, is in Detroit. It's in Detroit. Last year, Purdue lost in the first round, however, in Columbus. So that's actually closer, if I'm not mistaken, just as far as mileage goes. Well, maybe not because Purdue's in northern Indiana. Whatever, that's close. And then the U of A, uh, the West Regional is in Los Angeles. Uh, and that's where they have a monstrous fan base. And all the people from Tucson just are so happy they can get out of Tucson for a week that they'll go anyway. Uh, so there you go. So the, all these teams are very close to where their, uh, their proximity is as far as just geographically speaking. So they got that going for them. So to answer the question. Uh, Houston is the team I think is uh, I think this is a pretty easy answer for me. They are by far the best defensive team of these uh, this group of teams, and I think if you're going to beat Connecticut, you got to have uh, people that can guard, and they've got several guys that can do that. Also, Houston's the best rebounding team in my opinion in college basketball, maybe even statistically, uh, they might be number one on that area too. And I think that there you have to do that if you beat UConn. So I think they have the two biggest ingredients to actually beat UConn. I think the U of A would be the furthest away from this. Uh, and Purdue, if they get that far, they obviously have gotten over the tournament hump and at least made it to the Final Four for the first time since 1980. Uh, so that's kind of how I kind of, you know, the process of elimination there for me. Yeah, so I think for me, looking at this here, do we believe U of A has found something in their season and put the pieces all together? Uh, I guess I'm not 100% sold because they are playing the Pac-12 right now. Uh, when it comes to Houston, they're playing in the best conference in the Big 12, and they have the ability to get you with their physical play, their rebounding efforts, taking possessions away from you. Uh, Purdue they, uh, you know, seem to always have the the ability to make you think that they're going to do it, and then they fall flat on their face. And so it's hard to uh, go all in on Purdue at this point in time. So that leads me to believe the answer right now at this point in time is Houston. Let me just add one more thing, and I should have said this when I went through my little dissertation before I, you know, took time to let you talk, uh, that uh, – yeah, Purdue and uh, U of A played earlier in the season. That game was in Indianapolis, so it was you know home crowd advantage, obviously for for Purdue. The U of A had zero chance to win that game, zero. Uh, yeah. Houston out in front, 41% of the vote. U of A sitting at 35% and Purdue pulling up the rear at 24% of the vote. That's the KDOS1060.com poll question. Tossing this on over to X at KDOS AM1060, which has been college basketball's most disappointing team. Gonzaga, Miami, or Michigan State are your options. You know, Gonzaga obviously every year has the name and the expectations associated with it. But when Drew Timmy left, 
Uh, it just kind of felt like they were due for a drop-off. Maybe it was a drop-off more than expected, but I didn't think that they would be a top 10 team in the country this year. Miami, back-to-back Elite 8 performances for them including the final four last year so you thought that they could kind of just keep building what they've uh what they've been so that's a bit of a disappointment michigan state though they were returning all of their starters with a team that went to the sweet 16 so they too were expecting to be even better because that continuity all of those the, all of those starters returning uh so therefore i'm gonna go in the direction of michigan state it's hard it's hard in this day and age in college sports to uh, have a whole team returning all your starters coming back uh so because they had that and they're where they're at right now uh, i'm gonna go with michigan state i believe miami had four of their five starters back and like seven of their top eight players and they have by far the worst team of these this group here uh, and Miami got to the Elite Eight, or I think they got to the Elite Eight two years ago in the Sweet 16 last year with basically the same players. They've been by far the worst of this group. Uh, but you know, you know, just uh, a little more on Gonzaga. You know, they only lost Drew Temme, who is really not an NBA guy. But you know, they also this is the least NBA talent that Gonzaga has had for many years. They've made the tournament every year since 1998, which was actually before Mark Few. Uh, you know, he was not the guy that you know, built that program originally. Uh, but you know, they, they, there's lacking of NBA skill people. They've got a couple guys that are going to play in the league, but not to the level of guys that have entered the league as high draft picks in recent years, especially. So that they're they're they've got to they cannot stumble in the WCC. Uh, they can lose to St. Mary's. Uh, that's okay. St. Mary's is one. They have the long, least uh, nation's longest winning streak now after Connecticut lost last night. Uh, so you know St. Mary's is okay there, uh, but they can lose to them. But they can't lose to anybody else. They lose another conference game to somebody other than St. Mary's. They may not even be in the tournament. Michigan State, though, to me, I'm going to echo what you said. Last year, uh, I was actually surprised. They got to the Sweet 16. They got beat. They got beat in Madison Square Garden by Kansas State, and Kansas State had those guards last year, and uh, they couldn't miss a shot in that game and eliminated Michigan State. Uh, but to me, I'm a little surprised Michigan State's at this level. Ironically, Miami, Jim Laurinaga is the coach. He's not a young dude. There's a lot of speculation that he's going to retire at the end of this year. And uh, Tom Izzo is, I believe, 70, something like that. And there's speculation that he is tired of the NIL and transfer portal thing, which is interesting because he's got a few guys in the transfer portal to come to Michigan State, but whatever. Uh, and he was he's asked, like, literally every week uh, whether he's considering retirement. And he kind of went off the other day about this because I'm sure he's getting tired of being asked about it. Uh, but bottom line, to me, the answer is Michigan State. And losing at home last night to a really mediocre Iowa team, when I actually had just thought that Michigan State in the last two or three weeks had kind of gotten it together, that game last night was shocking, and that game was on Peacock or wherever, I, some pay television thing that I don't get, so I didn't watch it. Uh, but, you know, I was surprised at the final score when I saw the final score. The masses are on Gonzaga at 53.8% of the vote. Michigan State trailing at 46.2%. And Miami with 0% of the vote.
Maybe everyone forgot that they made it to the Final Four last year. Well, they've obviously they've had the worst season of all these teams. It's not even close. And they were, I believe, 12th in the preseason poll. And that um, win that uh, the Pac-12 had over Miami isn't looking as good anymore. Yeah, anything over even you know, football or basketball, anything over Miami lately is not not as good as it used to be. <laughs> Doesn't matter what sport. Maybe well, baseball. They've been, they're usually really good in baseball, so I don't know if they, that factors in. But you know, their football and basketball programs are not having a good calendar year. We'll wrap it up on the other side of the break. It is the extra point. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. On this Wednesday, February 21st, Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. It's that time once again. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever, and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today, Justin Williams from The Athletic. A lot of topics we cover with Justin around college basketball, including uh, obviously some of the, the two poll questions today. Obviously, Connecticut losing last night. Got to some college basketball coaching speculation. And obviously, uh, you know, Chris Holtman fired last week, a week ago today by Ohio State. We got into that job a little bit with, uh, with uh, Justin also. Uh, tomorrow at 10.15, we'll go around the NBA with Mo DeKeel. And then uh, Friday at 10.15, we'll talk NFL. The Combine's next week. Uh, so good timing here, among other things. Uh, Eric Edholm of uh, NFL uh, Media uh, is a draft expert, so we'll touch on a lot of things with uh, Eric on Friday. Sound of the day, courtesy of ESPN, Big Ten Network, FS1, also CBS, MLB, and Fox. Special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next, it is the Doug Gottlieb show from 1 to 3, followed by the Rich Eisen show from 3 to 5. The Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Beerstein from 5 to 6. And then you have Top of the Valley, hosted by Jeff Munn with ASU women's basketball coach, Coach Adair. That's from 7 to 8 tonight, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, uh, you can head on over to KDOS1060.com, click on the Live Sports tab, and find out what we have going for you. Uh, ASU women's basketball wrapping up the regular season here. NAU men's basketball doing the same. And then we have the start of ASU baseball. The first game aired on Friday. We have another one coming to you this Friday as well. So head on over to KDOS1060.com for that full broadcast schedule. It appears that college football may have a new format uh, and they finally maybe come to a decision. It's going to be a five plus seven format, which grants automatic bids to the five highest ranked conference champions and the seven remaining spots for at large bids. Also keeping in mind here, we got to readjust 
our clocks in January, our game clocks, if you will, because the new title game is slated for January 20th, which is nearly two weeks after the date we've become accustomed to. Well, that's what happens when you expend the, uh, you know, the tournament, so to speak. So you, you, gotta, uh, you can't play consecutive days or weeks or whatever. So they're going to stagger this out as long as humanly possible, uh, which is a bad thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's good for college football, to be honest. I didn't even know that they were staggering out that much. Uh, but you know, I would think that they don't want to be going up against any NFL playoff games, but they're, they're uh, certainly going to be doing that for sure now. Yeah, it's going to be an adjustment for for sure. Uh, it appears here that Ryan Clark's contract with ESPN has expired. Reportedly, oh yeah, yeah, the report. He, he, he made his he made his farewell appearance on the air on Super Bowl Friday. I don't know if they were expecting him to do that, but he did. Yeah, he's had a couple of interesting social media posts since then. Uh, reportedly, there is a contract offer on the table, but Ryan Clark has not responded back. So we'll see if he uh, returns. It's been a decade for him being a part of the ESPN family there. Um, the NBA All-Star Game, it has received a ton of criticism. It's non-competitive. Uh, you look at video of Adam Silver uh, trying to present the trophy. He looks just sick over how everything all transpired but guess what people watched it 11.6 million unique viewers across tnt tbs true tv and br sports on max which was up 20 percent from last year and it averaged 5.5 million viewers which was up 14 percent idiot idiot viewers if anybody watches any all-star game in any professional sport right now they are desperate for entertainment because there's not there's no entertainment value at all in any of these all-star games, no matter what the sport. That'll do it for this edition of Extra Point. Hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your Wednesday. Looking forward to getting back with you tomorrow. The Sports Zone kicks us off at 10 a.m. Talk to you then.